welcome to Families for Life, a podcast of Oakville Baptist Church. On today's episode, we're starting a new series on marriage, part one, why is marriage special? Welcome back, listeners. Welcome to the Families for Life podcast. Very excited that we're here. Excited to start our new series on marriage. I promised you a new series. I also promised you a special guest. So our guest for this entire series is none other than Pastor Alan Scott. Yes. Thank you, Brian, for having me. And it's so special to be here. (laughs) Well, as you know, uh, listeners, we always say at the beginning to subscribe, give us a review, share your feedback. There's an email address in the show notes. But we are very excited to start this series. You know, we had been thinking about how we could communicate and talk about marriage to the church. Of course, we had this vehicle of the podcast. And so we thought, hey, why don't we do a marriage series? So why did we want to do this series? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, marriage is uh, affects so many people. Not everyone is married. We know that. But uh, many people are. And it has everything to do with our lives. And Scripture's got a lot to say about it. There's a lot of pressures in culture pushing against marriage. And people who are married need to be encouraged. Uh, Maybe people who are married but are struggling, maybe they need to hear, uh, not maybe, they do need to hear the truth of God's Word to be encouraged to continue on in their marriage. And so hopefully this is just a way that we can invest in the marriages that make up our church and those who are listening. Yeah. Many people are afflicted. I mean, affected by marriage. Freudian slip (laughs) there. Yeah. Yeah. We we may have something else to talk about, Brian. It's one of those, it's one of those things that we could uh, talk about, uh, you know, many times in many ways, because yeah, that's, it's an ongoing thing. We have to work at our marriages. We have to keep um, Christ in the center, keep focusing, keep, keep loving our spouse. And, And it is difficult. It's not easy. So yeah. Just to give people a background, you know, I've been married now for 21 years and, uh, you know, to my lovely wife, Christy, and then you have been married for how long? Yeah, 36 years, me and Paul have been married. And, um, you know, marriage is a journey. Uh, you you have to invest in it. You have to work at it. And uh, But by God's grace, uh, as you depend on him and his truths, you can make it. That's it, right. It's just not easy. Yeah. So we're going to speak from our some of our experience uh, in marriage. Uh, we're also going to obviously we're going to be standing on scripture. That's our that's our foundation. You know us. You know what we're about. And so we're going to be standing on scripture. We're also going to be leaning on some experiences of our own lives and those that we've seen in the life of the church to kind of give us an illustration of what biblical marriage looks like or or what it doesn't look like. I've been in ministry now for 18 years, full-time vocational ministry, and you've been... Uh, I, I'm going to say 27 years, I believe. Okay. So, yeah. so combined, a lot of combined experience, yeah. a lot of things to talk about in our own lives. One of the resources that we're drawing from is preparing uh, for marriage, and there's four authors here. I'll list this in the show notes, but you can check that out and and see that for yourself. But let's just jump right in and say why marriage. Yeah, well, first, even before I just say why marriage, mm. I'm, I'm aware that there are probably some people oh, not yeah. listening uh, that are listening that aren't married. And, you know, God's Word's got a lot to say about that. Some people are called to singleness. And 
God's word speaks about the blessing of singleness. And so we, we're very aware of that. Yeah. But this is a specific podcast for uh, those who are married or maybe those who are considering being married one day. And so you can hear these truths and principles. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons that people get married. Mm-hmm. And some of them are good. <laughs> some of them maybe not so good. Yeah. And so um, sometimes... Uh, people get married because they don't want to be alone mm. or things like that, that they, they think they have to have a companion. Mm-hmm. And so a companion is good, but uh, we want to make sure our motivations are always uh, the right ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people think that they have, they have to get married to be complete. Like I'm never a complete person or I'm never, I'm never whole unless right. I get married. I think a lot of this is uh, fueled by like romantic comedy or things like that. Yeah, you movies, know? Yeah, yeah. You complete me, that yeah. kind of stuff. But really, we know the other person, there is a sense in which we are completed in a sense, mm-hmm. but like fundamentally as people, I can't have another person complete me. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, uh, I am made whole in Christ. Right. But um, that's some motivation sometimes. Sometimes people just you know, have the romantic view of this other person will complete me. Yeah. The other one that I put on here, I don't see so much in the world. It maybe happens in the Christian circles more people want to fulfill their sexual desires, you know, whenever they want. So they see that I must get married to have that outlet. Yeah. Of, of, to fill those, those desires. Yeah. And sometimes people think about the scripture. It talks about, you know, not burning in your lust, better to get married. Well, that's true. But like you said, just because someone is wanting to be sexually active, they say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and get married. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a lot more thought put into it than just right. the physical nature of a relationship. And then finally, some people say they, because of societal pressures or maybe familial expectations on them, so they say, I must get married. I must have a spouse. Right, or they, they feel like this kind of speaks into the single uh, singleness, mm-hmm. that they don't feel like they are accepted or can't be accepted if they're not married. And, right. and really that... We it's good to speak in against that too because right. uh, God's word does say that singleness is a blessing mm-hmm. and it is a blessing and we shouldn't have the wrong understanding that everyone must be married. Right. So yeah, and I don't think these are bad reasons. I think there's a little bit of truth in them. The problem is all of these reasons are self focused. You know, you think about trying to be complete or not being alone or fulfilling your desires or the expectations of others. Those are all self focused desires to get married. And I think any self-focused desire to get married is is not good. It's not the full truth. It must be a God-focused desire to get married. Yeah, be, it would be kind of deceptive almost if we're getting married focusing on ourselves when all of marriage is about, and Christianity is about dying to self. Right. And when you get married, you better die to self like never before. Right. And so, yeah, that would be a conflicting way to get into marriage. Mm-hmm. Are there other other reasons that you think people get married or have you yeah. in your experience? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think those are most of the ones that I've seen a uh, pressure, uh, not feeling com- complete. You know, there's something wrong with being single and people just need to know that there's, there's not anything wrong with being single yeah. and not try to find your, um, fulfillment as a person in mm-hmm. someone else. Yeah. So, well, let's jump in here and let's talk about why should a Christian want to get married? I think the first thing we realize is that marriage is God's idea. Yeah, it is God's idea. Uh, he, it, you know, this is not a social construct that that our world came up with. That this is um, God's ordained uh, plan and uh, purposes for our lives. In fact, um, you know, part of that, like we said earlier, a person can't ultimately complete you, but there is a sense in which we're made for. 
uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. And there's know, a mutual completion of one another. Right, right. It works both ways. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, Genesis 2.18. It just says, then the Lord said, God, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper a fit for him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, God knows he created us and he knows that uh, we're created for relationships and companionship is mm-hmm. good for us. Yeah. It's not just a, a buddy, but it's, uh, I like the word partner. You know, it's somebody that you're, you're in a in a relationship with in in many facets emotionally spiritually physically i mean it's it's someone that's there and the bible uses this word helper so what does that word mean what is that conveying to us eve is called adam's helper yeah well it's just this it's the idea of uh partnership uh companion of uh being there uh in all of life for one another. Right. And so sometimes people, I think, get this understanding of companion or helper mixed up with some of the principles we will talk at another point in Ephesians right. 5. Mm-hmm. And they think, well, you know, there those are these specific roles God's ordained, and he has. But there is still a sense in which in our companionship, we are helping mutually one another to live life out. Yeah, it's not that Eve was Adam's servant. You know, right. there were things that they did to serve one another and to love one another. But it was a mutual completion, not not a one way. She's there to help him and serve him. Right. Yeah. We need to, we need to understand that that early on at the very beginning, that as humans were created, male or female, we are being equally created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So there is this understanding that must be there of an equal worth and value of men and women mm-hmm. it's uh, if and if there's any if there is anything pushing in on that we have got to correct it if if someone thinks a man is superior to a woman that's a problem if uh, if there are people that think women are superior to men that's a problem that we're made for this companionship we're equally made in the image of god and that's the starting point that's good yeah well number 2 is to multiply god's legacy and we have this verse here where god is <clears throat> giving Adam and giving Adam really this, uh, the first part of the covenant here, he says, so God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So we key in on that last part where God tells them to be fruitful, to, to multiply, to fill the earth. We are in marriage brought together. Part of it is to procreate. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so there's agendas in our world now that I won't bring up specifically because we would chase many rabbits, but in general, the culture that we live in actually in the things in which they now believe in about human sexuality cut directly against the mandate and the call for us to procreate and multiply the earth. Because as, as our culture comes up with these other, other options of relationships, mm-hmm. They do not lead to procreation. They right. cannot. They right. just biologically cannot. And so we need to see this is good. This is right. This is how God ordained it. And it is good when we multiply and fill the earth. It is good when people uh, have children. Mm-hmm. And even in the world we live in, sometimes if you have more than one kid or two kids, if you, if you, you know, by God's grace have four or five, six kids, people ask you things like, well, what's wrong? Right. What happened? You know, do you know how that happens? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't you not figure this out yet? And so 
And sometimes that's a ha ha funny with people, but right. actually it's really not. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, this is now this is not something that, you know, each couple, each married couple has to pray through that and see what God has for right. them and their family. So yeah. I'm not saying you're more godly if you have more kids. Yes, exactly. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying uh, it is good to procreate and to have children. And, um, you know, there are scriptures that talk about that. I mean, Psalm, 1, Psalm 127, mm -hmm. verses 3 and 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Uh, fruit of the womb is a reward. Okay, th those are positive statements, right? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children in one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So mm -hmm. they are blessings. They are part of the legacy of a family. Uh, it is, in the sense, generationally, as we have children, and I'm starting to enter into this, not quite there yet, but as you get older, mm -hmm. your children get older, right. and you will find that your kids then minister to you in different ways. Right. Uh, and as you have cared so much for them in their early years, as you get older, your children then hopefully are then investing in you and helping to care for you. And there's this legacy there's, and that's part of the blessing of children. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's gotta be wonderful. And I, one day, hopefully I'll be there to see my kids raising their children and maybe even on to great grandchildren, but what a blessing to have this godly legacy of, uh, you know, faithful Christians that are continuing to love the Lord on through the generations. Yeah. And, and we just shouldn't shy away from verses like this. Or thoughts like this, just because they cut against really what culture mm -hmm. uh, sees as the norm, right? So, so then uh, we move from multiplying a God legacy to mirroring God's image. This is a this is a big one, right? I mean, we talk about God's image, and uh, I don't know. We have to to dive into all of this, but we do know that in Genesis one twenty six twenty seven, God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion." over the sea, the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In his image, he created the male and female. He created them. Yeah, so um, I like Scripture uh, here, of course. I like all Scripture, but here it's very specific. It says exactly what how what God is doing, and it's, it's ordaining uh, God's design of of uh, of humanity mm -hmm. and it, yeah. it, it makes it it makes it very it makes it pointed here at least in the culture that we live in yeah well in the image of god is something that we see god you know humans men and women are the only people that are bestowed with the image of god and so we try to get our hands and grasp what that is you know people talk about is it the character characteristics the 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 shared attributes is it the the dominion is it the creativity is it relationship? And I think, yes, I think it's, it's a part of all of that. All of those things encompass what God has imparted on us. And we reflect God's image, God's glory. When we do all of those things, one of the things that really pops out when you're thinking about marriage is the relational aspect of his image where God has relationship with himself in the Trinity. And he has relationship with us. The first day, uh, you know, from, from the first days God created Adam, he walked with them, he talked to them. There was a relationship that was happening and God created men and women to be relational. This is a part of who we are as people of God. Yeah. And I think in that, just as you, as you look at the, 
uh, as it says, let us make man in God's image. That's a reference to an early, very early reference to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in the Trinity, there is a co-equal uh, understanding of how they operate and the roles in which God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit operate together in unity um, as co-equal. Uh, and that helps us if we think about that when we get to other passages that mm -hmm. speak specifically to role, maybe that helps us not to chafe against the reality of the roles that God has given us in marriage, because even in the Godhead itself, there are roles that need to be fulfilled. And in that, there is a there is mm -hmm. a there is a co-equal understanding of how that all operates together. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. The question I was going to ask was, how do we actively reflect God's image in our marriages? And I think embracing those roles. Is there any? Is there another part of that? Well, that's a big part of it, I think, because once again, over the course of time, uh, there's a big pushback in a wrong understand against the roles because of wrong understanding, mm -hmm. and so I think that is a that is one main way that we can uh, mirror God's image is to be in relationship, and in relationships running to those uh, roles that. God has been ordained in marriage mm -hmm. and see that as a good thing and not a negative thing. Yeah. We're going to talk more about roles. We're going to get into at later in, in a later episode, we're going to get into what all that means. But I do think it's important to realize from the very beginning, uh, God sought to put all of these things in place. This isn't something that as we read later scriptures that um, Paul has invented or Jesus or whoever, this is something that from the foundations of creation, God put all of these things in place. Yeah. Yeah, God's behind it all. Uh, he's making it happen. And yeah. That's yeah, great. marriage is his design. It's his idea. And so if we think about this, so we think about sort of the why of marriage. In Christian marriage, we see those those principles played out. We look primarily at that Genesis uh, narrative. Let's think about the how of marriage. How do we live out a godly marriage? This is, I mean, you need to have that foundation. You need to know the why, but then this is where a lot of people uh, struggle because this is sort of the application of what we're talking about. Yeah, this is where you go from um, an idea of marriage in your mind to actually living it out in real life. And to live it out in real life, it is going to require a commitment. Mm. And that that's why the... The, the wedding ceremony is so important because you we are, you are declaring there uh, publicly in some sense your commitment to that person. Mm -hmm. You you are vowing in that moment of your commitment, and it plays into uh, what marriage is all about because the, the, if the question is how do we live out a godly marriage, well, you do that through your commitments, but you do it through an ongoing uh dying of yourself mm. to live in commitment. Yes. So, well, there's, there's really four parts of this, uh, sort of what it means to commit. And we have the scripture here, Genesis two. So now we're moving on into the next chapter where it says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, uh, took out his ribs and closed up the place of his flesh and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her before the man. Then the man said, this is bone of this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife 
they shall become one, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Genesis two twenty one through 25. There's a lot there in that, just those few verses there. Yeah, it's uh, it, it really helps us to, to see some key things that we've got to do as part of the commitment. It kind of spells it out almost. Yeah, and what's the first commitment there you know, that we got to make? You've got to receive the one that you're marrying. you got to receive your mate. Uh, it it's uh, if you think about it, uh, Adam didn't know anything about Eve except that she was from God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like right. there was no courting, there was no dating. Right. God said, "Here is your wife. Here's yeah. your woman." <laughs> yeah. But in God, but in God's wisdom and in His kindness, He was able to look at Eve after He looked at all the other creation right. and went, "None of those match me." But boy, that one sure uh, does. Right. And so there's a sense, even in God's kindness, that He did. Uh, make a match or a mate for him, but he still had to receive this one, even though this was all, there was no, um, it was just in the moment of right. what God provided. So I'm not yeah. saying that as soon as you, you know, see a girl, oh, no, that, no, no. You know, that's the one, but right. you know, well, and I think my point in this is I've had to, when I've sit down with, when I've sat down with couples to do marriage counseling, one of the things I try to impress upon them is, do you really believe God has brought you this person. If they, if you believe that, then that's something totally different. Then it's not just that you're, Oh, we happen to fall in love or whatever. This is something that God is ordaining. God is working through. God has brought this person to you as your spouse. That that's a totally different perspective. Yeah. That, that is a really good point because in God's sovereignty and in his way in which he moves, it's no accident that you're together. And if you believe it's not an accident, that this is the one for you that you were brought together is this sense of receiving the one who's come to you. And part of receiving is accepting them as they have come to you. Yeah, It's not, I will receive you if I can change you. Because that doesn't work out too well in marriages. Because yeah. I've found over the course of years that really the only one that can really change people, like really change people, is the Lord himself. Right. And so uh, this idea of receiving the mate as God brings the mate and loving uh, and committing and living that out is it's important to receive them as they have come. Yeah, Adam and Eve's marriage was based on God's promise, not their individual performance. And I think that's really important for people to see that your marriage to your spouse has to be based in the Lord. I like this quote from Preparing for Marriage where it says, Receiving your mate demonstrates your faith in God's integrity. Yeah, it's that, do you trust God? Yeah, yeah, do you trust God? Is this the one? And if so, you can't. You must receive and not not receive if, but receive, no matter what. Right. It's not if you perform the right way. If I think you meet my standard, then I'll receive you. Because what happens is when you stop performing, or if something happens in your life, if you become ill, whether it be physical or mental, whatever, if something happens, then do you still receive your mate? Right. Because it's, it's not based on performance, but that's what many people base it on. Yeah, and if we're both honest in a marriage, we both have to admit there's no way we're going to perfectly perform. Right. There, I mean, it, you've just got to be honest about that. No woman is going to perfectly perform in a marriage. No man is going to perfectly perform. So that cannot be the standard. Right. Because we'll just... we'll. we'll We'll fail before we ever begin if that's right. it. So really, 
uh, a question would be then how can we learn to unconditionally accept our spouse? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that, Brian? Well, I mean, I think it's got to, y- your relationship must focus on the Lord first. That's where it's got to start. And so many um, <clears throat> marriages are not, are not first founded in the Lord. They're not founded in his, in his truth and his integrity and, and those type of things. It's, Hey, I fell in love with this person. Oh, now I've fallen out of love with this person. It's not, Hey, I've, I'm receiving this person. I'm making a commitment to them. And this is something that God wants me to do because this is the person God has, has brought me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's really good. I, I tell you, another thing is like just the idea of the things that we receive in our mm. salvation mm. are the very things that we need to give in our marriage. That's good. It's like the the uh, the grace that I've received, the mercy I receive, just the uh, the the understanding of how God has been gracious mm-hmm. to come and offer to me something I didn't deserve. Right, and He gives me grace and He gives me mercy, and if I've received it. God's word is very clear that if we've received it, we need to be willing to give it. Yeah. And there's not a better person to give grace and mercy to than your spouse. Yeah. And I believe marriage is a sanctifying event. It's going to challenge you and stretch you spiritually. God is going to work on your heart. He's going to work on your spouse. And God has to be the one that is that is doing that work in you. Because, I mean, I've been now been married for 21 years. There's been hard times. It's yeah. not always easy. Yeah. And so when you have to... I'm going to be praying for you, Chris. Okay, thank you, thank okay. you. When you have to trust <laughs> the Lord when you and your spouse are, are not on the same page, when you're going through a tough season, I have to I have to go back to my salvation, to my faith, and trust God to bring me through every one of those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, grace and mercy it, it was not only important on the day that we came to faith in Christ, but it's important every day. We need... God's grace and mercy daily in our own lives, but we need to be willing to operate in it with others in our in, as well in general right. and specifically uh, in our marriages. So, is there any more we want to say on that? I oh, mean, there's a lot more we probably could say, but <laughs> we got other areas we're wanting to hit too. So. so, receive your mate. Then the number two is leave your parents. So this isn't really a big deal, right? You don't have any feelings on no, on I, this one at all. Listen, I've got a lot of feelings <laughs> about this. Uh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. There's so much there that uh, well, it's funny God put that in there. Adam and Eve didn't even have parents at this point, but He's setting up this this legacy, this covenant that's going to perpetuate on into the future. Yeah, right, because we are in relationships. Like when we have our children, we, the, the bond of parents and their ch- children are is so strong, and rightly so. We raise them. We, we invest in them. They, You know, we have to be careful not to lose ourselves in our children. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other podcast right. we probably can mm-hmm. do. But this idea of there comes a point as our children grow that as they grow, I believe the rightful response of a parent is to allow them to grow and to, and to in a sense, back your way out appropriately mm-hmm. of their lives. Or another illustration would be maybe when they're smaller, you have a, a, a very tight fence around your child. Mm-hmm. But as they grow, that, that fence needs to open up mm-hmm. as they mature. And then as they get married, there doesn't need to be a fence from you around them at all. Right. And you need to understand it is good for them mm-hmm. to leave your house. Right. It's good for them to now look to their spouse mm-hmm. and that be their primary relationship in life 
other than their relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I think there's two sides to this. You have the you have the kids, I call them kids, that are getting married, and then you have the parents that are that are giving up their children. So let's look at the kids first that are getting married. How does it affect a marriage if a husband and wife does not leave? Now, I don't mean physically. They may move out of the house, but you've seen it in in where they don't leave sort of like emotionally. Uh, you know, they're always depending on their parents, right? Yeah, I, I've spoke about this before. I mean, I've, I've been at our church now 16 years, so people have heard me talk about marriage. But the, the reality of it is if you get married and you are uh, what people would maybe fondly or kiddingly call a mama's boy, there's going to be problems mm-hmm. in that marriage. Or if you're daddy's girl still, even though after you're married, right. that's not going to work too well. Yeah. And part of the leaving your parents is now looking to your spouse as that primary in your life now. Right. I'm not, if you're if you're a if you're a, a wife, you're you're not going to just keep going back to your daddy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go. You're not going to go back to to mom. You're you're going to look to your spouse. Or even say, like you even joked about in a sermon, even saying, "Well, my mom did it this way, or my dad doesn't do it that yeah. way." Like, listen, you know? guys, if, if, do not. <laughs> this is just a, a public service announcement right now. Never, and I mean never, <laughs> tell your wife that your mom didn't do it that way. I mean that's going to get you in a lot of trouble. Just do not do that. Uh, Please, I'm begging you, don't do that. Oh man! Uh, and and like I've kiddingly said before, in a sense, you know, no, no, no husband wants to hear about how daddy always does it. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't want that. He 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 wants to hear about this relationship that he's in now. Right. And so, and it's not that you can't have a good relationship with your parents. You need, but the 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 relationship has to change. Yeah, absolutely. And and you have to look at your spouse and say, hey, this is my new family. This is the primary person in my life that I'm to love, to care for. This is the person God has put me with, and we're starting a new family. That doesn't mean you leave behind your old family. You still uh, you still interact and hang out, but there's got to be those good, healthy boundaries. What are some good boundaries that, that couples need to put in place? Yeah, well, one thing is for parents, you've got to help your kids leave. Mm. They need to hear it from you. No, you need to go. It is good for you to go. And and you need to set some ground rules up of like how you interact with them after they're married. Like I, I don't want my kids who are married to come back to me and air their dirty laundry mm-hmm. out to me about their spouse. Right. That is not going to be helpful in the in our in our family relationships anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if they have issues they need to talk about, sure. or if they come to you as a couple and say, hey, there's some things we have questions about, of course, appropriately always invest in them, but it cannot be a gab session mm-hmm. from your your kid back to you about their spouse. Right. That will do so much damage and will hurt your family and the extended family mm-hmm. if that happens. So, so many parents, though, get an ego boost out of that because like well my kid still needs me and you got to be secure enough to say to go back and say listen you need to go back to your spouse and work it out i'm here to help give counsel and wisdom you know the church is there to give counsel and wisdom but but you can't run to me every time you have a problem that's right yeah that's a great a great reminder too that there are other people who care about them who are godly people who will give advice based in scripture that we, by God's grace, have access to in our church. Right. We have other brothers and sisters in Christ in our church who are trained in counseling who can be there right. to help them. You don't have to insert yourself as a parent in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful to remember, I think. So you're on the back end now. You've got 
you've got kids. You don't have to specifically talk about your kids necessarily, but, but what does it look like to have a healthy relationship? Are there boundaries from your side that you put in place? You've talked about one about, you know, uh, not letting them come air their laundry all the time, but are there other kind of boundaries that you put in place or you, or you've seen people put in place? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think the main thing is just as you raise your children, let them know that the norm and the good way to go forward is for them. You are you are encouraging them to go, mm-hmm. and that just as you've raised them, your parenting has to change over the course of time. Your relationship as a my relationship as a dad now, and and Paula as a mother, we are still your dad and mother, mm-hmm. but we are it is different now mm-hmm. and we are not the primaries you're in a relationship right. and that's got to take precedent even over uh, our relationship. Yeah. And, I like what you said there. I think it's important that as we raise our children, we are raising them to, uh, to leave. We're right. raising them to be sent out right. into the world to hopefully they will find a, a godly spouse that God will bring with them and they'll join together, but they're, they're going out into the world to follow the Lord's direction. Yeah, we do. We do people a disservice if we ever get them to to uh, cling to us. And 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 yes, we want our we want our children to look to us and to be close to us. But it is good and right as they get older for there to be a releasing of as well. And sometimes that's missed. And sometimes you know that's why some kids fail to launch sometimes, right? right? Because mm-hmm. they're they're too connected in an unhealthy manner to their to their parents that right. we have got to help them mature and grow and stand on their own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's good. Was there anything else on that on that point? I want to move to the next one. Uh, leaving's important, but the next one is very important too. This number three, cleave to your mate. So this word cleave may be kind of uh, new to some people. What does it mean to cleave? Yeah, it, cleave is an old word. Of course, we don't use a lot. In fact, in other translations, it, it would say hold fast mm-hmm. uh, to his wife. That's this idea of of sticking together. Uh, cleaving, it has this idea of, of uh, if you would ever glue two pieces of paper together mm-hmm. and you try to take them apart. Once mm-hmm. it's something that's cleaved together or hold fast, it's not made then to to be separated. If you separate it, it's, it's messy. It's and a it, mess. Yeah. You're right. It's it, torn and, 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 and it's just not the same. Right. And so there, there is a sense in which you need to, uh, stick like glue to your mate. Mm-hmm. And that means, uh, some days it's really easy and other days that's really hard. And, and Satan wants to tempt us to think, well, man, this is just too hard and it would just be easier if I could just start over. Right. And that's a lie. It's just, it's just, it's just not true. So we know, and so every time I talk about marriage or talk about this this cleaving together, and then, of course, at some point someone's going to think, well, what if you're in this kind of marriage or that kind of marriage? I understand all that. I'm just giving you the, the basic right. general principle from Scripture is that marriage is meant to for two people to come together and to stick like glue together, right. to hold fast for that relationship. Yeah. It's about making a lifelong commitment. And yeah, you're right. People like to, uh, bring up all of the sort of like, what if this situation happens or this situation? And again, this is just the, the basis from scripture. Uh, you know, we can, we can talk about what happens in certain situations and scripture speaks to those things as well. But here, the idea is we're making a lifelong commitment. And I really don't think people, if they if they understand it, they maybe not 
mean it, or at least they don't live it out. Do you agree with that? Yeah, maybe so. Uh, you know, I've said something before that uh, I think some people may think are, is a little controversial. I, I don't really think it is. Uh, we have, uh, when, when we got married, we, we <clears throat> meant what we said and we more or less told one another that divorce is never going to be an option. Mm -hmm. And I remember even when we were raising our children, there were times even in a pastor's home mm -hmm. that the kids know you guys aren't getting along, you know, things aren't going well. And I remember one time I specifically told my kids, listen, we're not, me and mommy are, are we're, Things aren't good right now, mm -hmm. but me and mommy aren't going anywhere. Right, We're never going to leave one another. And there is a sense in which some people think that's wrong, mm -hmm. not good. But it, I think it goes to the <clears throat> principle of even like the Apostle Paul would oftentimes in his writing tell others to look to him. Yeah, There's a sense of accountability in mm -hmm. that as well. And I do believe it's good for parents to, to, to set themselves accountable even before their children mm -hmm. that we are brought together by God. We're going to hold fast to one another, mm -hmm. even when it's desperately hard. We're going to do everything that we can. And we've already said, so don't turn the podcast off. Scripture even speaks into some uh, very few situations where a divorce may mm -hmm. take sure. place. Okay, so I, I'm very aware of that, okay? But we're talking the general principle mm -hmm. of the Scriptures about marriage is to is to cleave to one another. Yeah, I mean, I like what you said where you're acknowledging there's a problem, and that's okay. It's, it's you know, we don't have to walk around as parents uh, or as Christians even acting like we have our act together all the time. And if we, if we would acknowledge, hey, there's a problem, okay, I'm going to seek the Lord, I'm going to seek godly counsel to fix the problem. That's, most people just, just ignore it until it gets to a boiling point. You know, many times when we, have people come to us for marriage counseling, it's already at the point to where they're ready to call a divorce lawyer. And it's like, well, this is kind of the last ditch effort, right? This is kind of like, I'm here before you because if, you know, this is kind of the last thing. And if this doesn't work, we're, we're calling a divorce yeah. lawyer. Yeah. And it's hard to unwind <laughs> that. a lot of yeah, it, it, pressure. It, it's hard to unwind that clock yeah. because that clock <laughs> has been wound for sometimes 10 years. Right. And the relationship has never functioned in a biblical way. And there's been other standards used just like some, a lot of people are married and they use the standard of what they saw growing up yeah. because that's what they think a marriage looks like. But, but what we've got to do is love people and help people to be able to cleave to one another. And sometimes it's very difficult because, because they, we wait way too long before we deal with it. So I right. encourage, I, and I think the church has done people a disservice mm -hmm. too by the fact of making people feel like they just have to smile and fake it till you make yeah. it. And that is not true. I, and I think one thing that has helped in raising my children is I've, tr me and Paula have tried to be honest with our mm -hmm. kids. It, it does no, it, it, it doesn't do your children any favors for you to think that you've got to show them that you never mess up mm -hmm. or you never struggle or you as parents never have hardships that you got to work through better to be real with them in an appropriate way. Sure. Not, not ultra transparent to where it's inappropriate, mm -hmm. but to really be honest about where you're at and work through the problem. Right. Don't let it build up for years and years to when the love has grown so mm -hmm. cold and it seems so distant from what it once was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about marriage. Marriage is God's idea. Divorce is not. And divorce is, is not part of God's plan. It's not part of, it's not 
part of God's ideas. He did not design that. Now, there are some allowable things in Scripture. We don't have to dive all into that. Right. Very few things. Right. Very few. The large, by the way, the large majority of divorces are are ungodly, unbiblical. Right. Uh, you know, I love this quote here in preparing for marriage because this speaks to kind of the spiritual nature. And I think a lot of people miss out on this when they talk about divorce. It says, when two people display the type of commitment in marriage that truly fulfills God's purpose, they become a witness to the world of God's character. Now, everyone would agree with that. Here's where they might not agree. Divorce not only causes terrible damage to you and those that you love, but it also brings shame upon the name of Christ. Yeah, and that's a that's a pointed word. Mm-hmm. I understand that. But, um, you know, I have people very, very close to me in my family that I love with my whole heart, and they've walked through divorce and the pain of divorce. And I say the pain of divorce because there is pain in divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some people, there, there may be some, some are more messy divorces than others, as people say, but it is not easy and it is hard when things are torn apart or they, people go their separate ways because mm-hmm. oftentimes their lives are so intertwined and they have children. And a lot of, sometimes the adults get through it better than the children do. Right. And it, it, but there is fallout from divorce. There's no way around it. And most of the time people believe, well, if I get the divorce, I can just start over. Right. And listen, a lot of people have done that. I understand that, but there's oftentimes a lot that comes with that as well. That's not really considered when that divorce is being considered Mm -hmm. when maybe what should be considered is not divorce, but maybe the hard work of unwinding that clock Mm -hmm. of coming back to some principles from scripture that could help us see someone be in a healthy marriage that can last a lifetime. Right. Yeah. And I think I would, I would tell everybody that if you're struggling in your marriage, don't wait till, don't wait to get help to where it's beyond help, you know, come early on to get biblical counseling. There's no shame in biblical counseling. It's basically a discipleship. It's just like your car has to go for a tune-up every so often. Sometimes in our spiritual lives, we need a spiritual tune-up, and you have to go to somebody that can help you talk through that. Sometimes you get a roadblock with your spouse and you just can't navigate through that. You're talking and she's talking and they're just, you just can't make any headway. You need a third party, a godly individual that can help break up that log jam. Don't wait till you're, you're, you're about ready to walk out the door. Right. Yeah. That is such a good word. And here's the problem. Oftentimes we get a third party, but it can be a wrong third party. Yeah. Um, you need, if we're, this is a podcast that we're talking about biblical principles. We are probably talking to mainly Christians who may be listening to this. You do not need the secular ideas of the world to fix your marriage. What you need is a right understanding of scripture, a willingness to live out your Christian faith, meaning I am willing to die to myself, which means I'm going to look at myself mm-hmm. Even before I look at my spouse, right? we're going to be honest before God, and we're going to see that perfection is not the standard mm-hmm. because none of us are perfect. Performance is not the standard, but there's a real a reality and a, and, a, and a willingness to seek God's truth, to do a miracle in a marriage, and to invest things in it that probably has never been invested in it before. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen God turn marriages around. Uh, I've seen where it could have been turned around. And listen, I will tell people, if you've gone through divorce, if you've been through a divorce yourself, 
it's not like you have a scarlet letter. There is hope and forgiveness even post divorce. So we're not here. Look, we're not here standing in judgment of you. But there is, there is, there needs to be repentance and there is forgiveness even through divorce. Yeah. Right. Yes, that needs to be said. But also needs to be said is, uh, what what we have to do is to proclaim the the biblical principles mm-hmm. of marriage. Right. With a full throat, with no apology, Mm -hmm. and then also understand we live in a fallen, imperfect world, Mm -hmm. and people walk through the pains of divorce. And so for those people, we need to be there to love them, to understand and live in grace and mercy with them as well, and then to ask God to help them understand biblical principles like maybe they hadn't in the past to to live them out in their relationships that they're in. And so we we are not talking about putting a scarlet letter on someone, but we are talking about about propagating the truths of Scripture right. for marriage, and then ministering and lovingly and helpfully to those who experience the pain of divorce. Yeah. And so we it, offer free biblical counseling. If you're in the Evansville area, reach out to us. We want to help. Yeah. Right. So number four, become one flesh. So. What does it mean to become one flesh? Well, I mean, it's this, it's really just this bonding of two people who are coming together uh, in different ways, in, in the physical, in mm-hmm. the emotional, and the spiritual. And it's just this uh, coming together that is the special, in a special way that happens in a marriage that doesn't happen any other way. Right. A lot of times we do think about it purely in the physical because there is a, a joining through the sexual union of a man and a woman. But I love this quote by Dr. Louis, Louis Evans, where it says, the one flesh in marriage is not just a physical phenomenon, but uniting the totality of two personalities in marriage. We are one flesh spiritually by vow, economically by sharing, logistically by adjusting and agreeing on disbursement of all life's resources, experientially by trudging through the dark valleys and standing victoriously on the peaks of success and sexually by bonding our bodies. It kind of goes through all those different layers of, you know, different aspects of who we are. And I love that because that's, that's what it means to become one flesh. You know, when you think about a married, some, a, a married couple that's living that out, you know, I don't, I, I do think about you as an individual. Of course, we have a friendship and a, a relationship, but I also, it's hard for me to think of Alan by himself without Paula. Right. You know, it's, it's Alan and Paula. Right. And hopefully it's Brian and Christy, you know, because we are so joined in, in marriage and union that it's your thought of me is not far off from me and my wife. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very important principle because we live in culture uh, that tells us to, uh, to, to be autonomous, mm-hmm. to, uh, to uh, fulfill ourselves even in relationships that like I'm in a relationship, but, and, and so I'm, this does not mean you lose yourself. Right. You are still who you are of and you have your personality and your likes and dislikes and all those things. But there is a sense in which we are not trying to find a way to be married, but separate. But we are, we understand that when we are married, we are becoming more and more mm-hmm. one flesh as we live together, you know, and that's, that's just how it works. I think the longer you're married to, it's like, like I've been married 36 years. It, it, it would be hard for me to imagine my life not with my wife. Yeah. That it's just, it's just, we are together. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Every, everything is intertwined to yeah. to help one another for God's glory. Right now, that doesn't mean you have to spend every waking moment together. Of course, it doesn't mean we're not talking about. This. So, so people hear information like this and say, "Oh, well, what are you saying? Are you always going to be around your wife?" And well, I, I, I believe I promise you, my wife didn't always want to be around me. She yeah. needs her own space. What, I need my own space. What I love about the Bible, and we've talked about this with parenting as well, is there's a biblical framework that's that's there. And then you kind of live out these godly principles, and there's little nuances in your own relationship where I might do things a little bit different in my relationship than you, and that's okay. Right. Marriage relationships don't have to look exactly the same. They need to be based in these biblical principles, right. uh, but there may be little nuances that are going to be different. Yeah, they get fleshed out in all kinds of ways. So every marriage is not going to look exactly the same, but a Christian marriage should have the 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 framework right. of this biblical framework, but then that's fleshed out in all kinds of different ways. Right. And so we've, we've got to be okay with that and be honest about that. I mean, everybody's marriage looks exactly the same. That would be scary. Actually. Right. Exactly. So, no, it's not that at all. Well, I think the real question for marriage, because we, we've gone through sort of these, these four things about how you live this out, receive your mate, leave your parents, cleave to your mate, become one flesh. I think all of this is driving to, do you trust God's plan? Do you trust God's plan for marriage in general? Just just his his biblical uh, idea and and this this idea that he wants to put us in these godly marriages. And do you trust God's plan with that specific person? If God has brought you this person, you should you should join with them, be committed with them, do the work that it takes to have a happy and fulfilled marriage. Yeah, right, Brian. You just hit the nail on the head. Do the work. Mm-hmm. Do the work. If you want to be in a marriage for a lifetime, you want to cleave, uh, you're going to have to do the work, which means in relationship, I'm not going to look at Paula and say, well, if Paula would just whatever, we would be okay. Because that is the, one of the biggest problems in marriages doing the work means I'm going to consider my own life Mm -hmm. in light of what God's word says about how I should live with my mate. And if I will do that, and if my spouse will do that, that is going to show that we trust God's plan. Yeah. And so often we look at the other person and say, if, if they would do this, we would have a happy marriage. But we need to turn that finger around and point to ourselves and say, what part do I have to contribute to make this a happy and fulfilled marriage? And you're loving and praying and encouraging your spouse. Because what you said earlier is it's really hard to change someone. Yeah. You you can't force them it to change. Yeah, depending on the person especially. I mean, I especially when I you know, I I'm a hardhead, you know? <laughs> and and if I don't want to change, I'm not changing. No one can change me. No one. But God can. Right. And so there are times when uh I'm sure I've frustrated Paula to the nth degree, but I think she understands this principle to where the the greatest way that change comes in my life is when you pray for your spouse. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there were countless times that Paula was praying that God would do a work in my life mm-hmm. that she could never bring to pass right. or no one else could. And so I think praying for your spouse is extremely important because, yes, we do live with imperfect people. We're two safe sinners who, who are married together under one roof. Mm-hmm. And we need to pray for one another. But if I can do the work of considering my holiness, mm-hmm. considering how I'm living, my attitudes, my motives, mm-hmm. it will do more to help my marriage and revolutionize it than probably anything else. So you would, if you have a disagreement with your spouse, you just look at him and say, I'm going to pray for I'm you. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to point your flaws out. But you know what? I love you. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> my, your wife might say, I'm going to pray you make the right decision. Yeah. 
I've heard that before. <laughs> well, I, I think this is uh, this is super helpful. You know, I saw something the other day where someone was going down different life situations, and they said everything is hard. You know, all of these situations are hard. Whatever you choose, you got to choose your heart. And I think if we want to have a lifelong marriage, it, it, it is going to be difficult. There are times, but I tell you, it gets the, the the closer you are, the more you trust the Lord, the more you 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 submit your will to the Lord. You give your spouse up to the Lord. You pray for them. God will give you a sweet and fulfilling marriage. Yeah, I just want to say I know we're we're coming coming close to the close anyway. With what we're talking about. <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, I'm not ancient, but I'm not young. I'm 56. I've been married 36 years. And I can just tell you that over the course of a marriage of 36 years, there are times that are desperately hard, but there are times that are just gloriously fulfilling. Mm. And I just want to say that when your children move out and you're sitting there with your spouse of 36 years, there is a... uh, there's a sweetness to that that you can't quantify. Right. That there's a person still with you and loves you even though your back does not work any longer or your knees don't work any longer or you forget things that you never used to forget. In in our frailties, as you become one flesh, you strengthen one another. Mm-hmm. And that may be physically as you accommodate one another, mentally, spiritually, physically, whatever it may be, but there is a sweetness and there is a reward that comes that God brings to those who persevere. Mm. And uh, it really is good and it is really hard at times, but but it's all worth it. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Yeah. I think we can wrap this up. You know, one of the things that the best ways that I've found to think about marriage is you can go 50, 50, or you can go a hundred, hundred. You know, I think in the world, we want everything to be fair. The world wants everything to be fair. Contract. Go 50-50. Hey, you meet me halfway. Meet me halfway. I'll do my half. You do your half. 50-50. But this is not a biblical concept. Right. Yeah, because if it's 50-50, I'll do my part. You do your part. Well, what happens if that person doesn't do their part? Well, what happens oftentimes in our world is, well, we go our separate ways. Right. So it's a wrong understanding. It's this idea of 100 and 100 is meaning we're both all in. We're 100% committed to set aside our selfish desires to love and care for our spouse. This is love unconditional, giving 100%, not meeting you halfway. Because there are days that, I'll be honest, I don't meet my wife halfway, mm-hmm. but she goes 100%. Right. And there's times when she doesn't go halfway, but I have to meet her 100%. Yeah. And that's what a Christian marriage, this is the way that Christ treated us. Folks, we are reflecting Christ in how we live. This is how he wants us to treat our spouse. And if we will do this, we can have a lifelong fulfilled marriage. Yeah. It's that, it's that very Christian principle of dying to yourself, not claiming rights, not having your own agenda, but just you're all in and the other person's all in. And when you're both all in, you can make it. That's right. Well, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to add to this? Because that's, uh, that's a great place to leave it, I think. No, I I don't have anything more right now, but I, I'm looking forward to the series yeah. because there's more things we want to unpack. and hopefully- Really practical things. We're going to talk right. about communication, and we're going to talk about roles and responsibility and money and intimacy and a lot of different things. Right, yeah. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I don't think there's a better thing for us to be talking about right now. Uh, and this is just an, an avenue or, or a way in which we can talk about it and hopefully 
uh, folks in our church and beyond our church can hear this and be encouraged by these biblical principles about marriage. Right. Feel free to reach out to us if you have questions. If you need free biblical counseling, reach out to us. We've seen God do miracles. God can do a miracle in your marriage if you believe uh, and and you trust him, he can do it. Yeah. So if your marriage is hurting, reach out. If you've went through the pain of divorce and you've heard these principles and you, you are hurting even because you've heard them and you're still struggling, we want you to know you're loved as well. Mm-hmm. And there is grace and mercy and there is encouragement and there is help that can be given to you as well. So just know that as we walk this out, uh, the role is to minister well to one another and to keep God's word primary. Amen. That's good. Well, thanks for being on. I'm, I'm really excited about this series. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for letting me. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. See you later.